0: do this very often, but I um, thought this was so cute. I thought I might share it with you. Um, I had a mother tell me tonight, I, most of you know, I think, or many of you know that my wife teaches Sunday school, um, the second hour, uh, she has a, I don't know how old the kids are, but, um, she really gets into it and, and, uh, she really, um, you know, does tell a story well, but, um, so this little family, um, was in the church someplace and they saw Susie and um and the little girl says to her mother, um, Mommy, there's Miss Susie who teaches us Bible stories. She's married to the man who's the waiter. <laughs> <laughs> well what can I say? Um, <laughs> um They turn off automatically, I think, in these fancy cars. Oh, it doesn't turn off. Uh, Somebody's lights are on. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All of life is timing. Um, Okay. A Pathfinder, perhaps, um, they said. Okay, let's everybody watch who gets up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, guys, uh, we're still in the introductory part of the book of Galatians, but, um, but we've made it through verse 1. And we are, um, we are breezing right along here. Um, uh, l- let me read you verses 2 and 3. I uh, want 2 and 3. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, we've made it through verse one, and Paul opens this letter, um, as I think we, I hope you've seen. He, he opens it with a pen that, uh, that, um, that appears that he's dipped it in fire. I mean, he is. Um, he is. He, he launches into a defense of his own apostleship and his own authority. Um, uh, because his opponents have attacked him so viciously and and uh, on several different fronts, you can almost hear them saying things like, "Well, you know, this this Paul guy, he's uh he's an upstart. He's a he's a you know he's a late comer. A Johnny come lately. I mean, you know, you do remember, don't you, that for years he was the foremost opponent of Christianity. In fact, that Paul guy, uh, he uh, he played a leading role, and and when when Stephen was stoned, I mean, um, he's not. Uh, He's not an apostle. He's not one of the twelve, and he never was one of the twelve. Uh, Peter and James and John, we know, but um, but this guy, uh, he's not in their league. Uh, he, he's an unknown. He's an impostor. Um, uh, he, he points to some experience that he had, some kind of vision or dream or something that he had on the road to Damascus, um, but, but only the twelve have the right to define the gospel for us. And this guy really needs to be um, um, measured uh, by those guys. He's just, uh, he's an upstart. So, just I mean, so all of these, these criticisms, Paul kind of sweeps them away with one verse. Verse 1, um, Paul, an apostle, not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. All of this, these accusations about Paul, he's addressing uh, with this economy of words when he simply says, my apostleship, I didn't get from men, I got it from God. Now, which brings us to verse 2, where he identifies um, uh, the, the, uh, the place where he's sending the letter. Uh, who, where is this Galatia place? Um, uh, it's, it's a region uh, that is in modern-day Turkey. It's kind of the center of the country from north to south. Um, uh, its primary cities are Ankara, which is modern Turkey's uh, capital city. Uh, the, uh, the, the cities of Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Pisidian Antioch, all of which were visited by the Apostle Paul. Um, this, this area called Galatia was, uh, uh, was made into an imperial province of Rome, because of a, of a piece of treachery, um, they um, they sided with Caesar Augustus over against Mark Antony in a, in, a, in the battle of Actium in in thirty one BC, uh, and they they betrayed Mark Antony. But because of this, um, Rome awarded them this this imperial province thing. Um, he does not name the, the the people that are with him, his fellow missionaries, as he travels. He does that elsewhere. That is, he does identify the people that are traveling with him, but he doesn't hear. Uh, apparently not wanting to give the impression that he needed, to, he needed anybody else's support. Because after all, you might recall, um, my, my, my apostleship I received directly from God. But you might have expected him to mention at least Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy that traveled with Emote through these uh, these same hills, um, but interestingly, Barnabas was a defector as well, and he 's mentioned as a defector in chapter two, verse thirteen. He had defected to the side of Peter you know and, and as we g- get through the book you 're going to see this this battle that takes place between Paul and peter um, but, but Barnabas had defected to uh, peter 's side, and of course um, Barnabas um, later um, saw the error of his ways. Uh, one thing I would the, simply, in verse 2, I'd point out, you notice it says, to the churches. Um, it's plural. And this is a letter that was to be a circular letter. It was, um, it was to be read in, say, Lystra and then sent to Iconium. It was supposed to travel around. It was supposed to be a circular letter where all the churches in this region got this same letter, and uh, so there were several churches in the region that Paul had planted, which brings us to verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever heard that before? I hope you remember it. I hope you recognize it. Um, it's, um, it's something that I use every Sunday morning twice uh, to greet you or as a salutation. Um, he mentions grace and peace, which John Stott says is a, somewhat of a fair summary of the gospel, just in those two words. Um, that is, that we have peace with God. And it comes from grace. Um, but those are fairly familiar terms, fairly common terms, grace and peace. Um, they, they are somewhat understood. Um, it was interesting to me, in, in Luther's commentary, when he got to these two words, he somewhat apologized for defining them over again. And then he added this sentence after he apologized for for redefining the terms grace and peace. uh, He said this, um, the article of justification must be sounded in our ears incessantly because the frailty of our flesh will not permit us to take hold of it perfectly and to believe it with all our heart. Is that not the truth? Gang, um, very honestly, we're uncomfortable with grace. We, we're far more comfortable with law. We prefer law. Our default mode is performance. And so what Luther is saying is, this doctrine of justification uh, centering upon grace and peace is something that we've got to be, have to go over incessantly. That's his word over and over and over again because we're uncomfortable with the idea of grace. We're very comfortable with the idea of works. We're very comfortable trying to earn our own, our own way. But to be told that everything is derived from a gift, mm, we're not as comfortable with that. Now, it's good news to us, but our default mode is back to performance. We are constantly trying to demonstrate our worth by performance. We're constantly trying to justify our existence by our performance. Have you ever wondered why people call you driven? Am I the only driven? I don't think so, not in this room. Do you know that part of that is because we're uncomfortable with grace, we're still trying to perform our way into acceptability. Well, um, of course, there's peace with God. There's peace with supposedly men, and then there's a, a peace that the that the gospel establishes um, that we're supposed to enjoy ourselves inside. You know. But grace is this thing which is the source of our salvation, guys. Um, have you ever tried to define it? Have you ever tried? Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me think. God's riches at Christ's expense. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a stab. It's not a very good stab, but it's a stab. Guys, grace is, um, is a description of part of God's character. It's part of his nature. It's the part of his nature that predisposes him to give. It's part of his nature that predisposes him to love. It's part of his his nature that predisposes him to grant forgiveness. Um, So when you and I pray for more grace, what we're praying for is really more of God more of that character, more of that nature. You know, there is a statement by the Apostle... No, by the psalmist David in Psalm 119 where he says, Enlarge my heart. Haven't you longed for that before? I want a bigger heart. I want to contain more. But what you will contain is a predisposition to give. To give love, to give forgiveness, to give mercy. Um, Because grace is that thing, guys, that... that, um, it points us to a a part of the nature of God where He is He is willing to grant forgiveness. And because He is, the conscience is quieted. Um Try to quiet that aching conscience of your of yours with good performance. See how far that gets you. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's grace, which is the source, it's the it's the fountain of um Of this thing that we uh, love to talk about, the gospel. Those two things, grace and peace, look at the text, come to us um, not from men, not from the state. They come to us from God our Father. Now, guys, you would think it would be enough to say that grace and peace come to us from God our Father. But it's not. Um... He goes on, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Guys, um, when I was in um, Budapest this summer, you, you know you never know whether you're really connecting with people of a different culture. And, and you know, I, I still don't know. But, but anyway, so part of this might be just culture. But they kept talking about following God, following God, following God. And they kept, there was an emphasis on God. And in the question-answer period, um, or maybe it wasn't, maybe I'd said it earlier because it came up in the question-answer. I said something about, I'm very uncomfortable with your emphasis upon God. And so somebody asked me the question, what is your discomfort What are you talking about when you you talk about your discomfort with us saying God? Now, some of this might be cultural differences. I, I, I don't know. But guys, do you understand that redemption, the plan, the scheme of redemption, is theocentric? But the gospel, the gospel is Christocentric. Now, that may just be drawing lines too narrowly for you, but guys, um, in terms of understanding grace and peace, Paul um, wanted you to know that those two things come to you from God the Father and. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said that Christ is the center and all else is is circumference. But ladies and gentlemen, um, Paul is introducing you the one through whom God's grace was exhibited. And that is the second person of the Trinity. And you cannot forget that. You cannot cannot, um, skew your understanding in one way or the other. Um, It is in Christ where the grace of God is exhibited. It is in this Christ who is the center where everything else is circumference. It is in Christ where we get our only access to the Father. Something said by Christ himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is only through Christ. And that was my discomfort in, in, in Budapest. Do you understand that we're not Unitarians? We gain access to the Father through the Son. And you've got to get that. Redemption, the scheme of redemption is theocentric, yes. But the gospel is Christocentric. It centers upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, um, I, I want to say a, just maybe a lot about this John fourteen six passage. This one that Paul uh, takes great pleasure in emphasizing is the one who who made the statement, um, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to me but by the Father." Um, do, do you? Do you see what a earth shattering statement that that is guys um in john fourteen six where jesus says that um, Jesus is not only saying something about himself, he's also saying something about everybody else when he says No man comes to the Father but by me. He is saying something about himself, but he is saying something about everybody else too. You get that, don't you, I hope? Gang, um, the cults have a Christ. It's not our Christ, but they have a Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, have a Christ. But he is not God the Son. Nor did their Christ rise from the dead. According to Jehovah's Witnesses, his body was dissolved into gas in the tomb. Their Christ came in 1914. They have a Christ, but it's not this Christ. Mormons have a Christ. You know that that the Mormon Christ was a polygamist. He was married to both Mary and Martha, and they were married at the the wedding ceremony at Cana. Um, They have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. The Seventh-day Adventists have a Christ, but he's not a Christ that bore our sins on the cross. He, uh, According to them... Uh, Satan was uh, was the scapegoat and our sins were put on Satan. The Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church has a, has a, have a Christ. The priest makes him by pronouncing five Latin words over a wafer of bread at the Mass. They have a Christ, but it's not this Christ. Liberals have a Christ. He was not born of a virgin and his miracles were just kind of tricks. Um... They were magic. They were sleights of hand. Um, he, he, was only, he, only, he was just a life of, that was a good example. His death was an unfortunate martyrdom. His resurrection was a myth. The Judaizers that Paul is attacking in Galatians, they have a Christ. But their Christ is one whose work has to be added to. Guys, what you think about Jesus is the most important thing that you think about. Nobody is going to mind if you believe that Jesus Christ is a way. Nobody's going to be bothered by that. But to call him the way, to call him the truth, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, our culture doesn't even believe in the category of truth much less that Jesus is it. I have a friend who, um, who said this, and I wish I'd have said it, but I didn't say it. He said it. But, I, but this is who I am. This, this is me. <laughs> he says, My credo, when boiled down, is really very simple. Number one, truth exists though it is fashionable these days to say there is no such thing as truth. Number two, truth is knowable, although it is fashionable today to exalt ignorance as a virtue. Number three, Jesus Christ is the truth, an absolutely radical assertion in today's culture. And number four, the Bible is a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, the truth, which is a necessary conclusion if the first three are true. He adds this. These four convictions are enough to get you martyred in the East or marginalized in the West. Marginalized is worse. You know, guys, I don't enjoy drawing the lines narrowly. You know, it shrinks your crowd. You know, <laughs> it's kind of one of the uh, one of the ways to shrink the crowd. Sunday morning. Um, I was out in the congregation. You know, I, what I try to do uh, is meet the new people that are there. And, and I, I, guilty as charge, I bypass you. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to look for somebody who's there for the first time. is frightened by the whole experience. And so, um, I, I, so I found this couple who um, qualified. And um, I, I said, are you new to Grace? Oh, yeah, her first time. I said, are you new to Memphis? Yeah, just moved here from Kansas. And um, cute. I mean, I'm mean, nice people nice people. And so we chatted for a couple of minutes and I was trying to tell them a little bit about the church and, and, um, I was about to leave, you know, my signal to get back where I'm supposed to be is when Jimmy starts playing that little intro thing. That means leave me alone. I got to get this thing on. Um, so, um, it was right before I was leaving and the woman leaned over and she said, could I ask you a question? And I said, sure, go right ahead. And she said, Is this pulpit goofy? Goofy. Is this pulpit goofy? (laughs) Now, I don't know whether she knew I was about to occupy that pulpit or not. But but that was her question. Is this pulpit goofy? And, And, you know, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I knew exactly what she meant. It may be. This pulpit may be goofy. But it seems to me that she was referring to, oh, the big thing now in the Christian church is blessing your pets. I understand that the big thing in St. Louis is to bless your boats. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to figure out which one of those is goofy. Goofy. One more. Um, I don't make this stuff up. This was in the commercial appeal on Saturday morning. Um, this was a retreat that was put on by um, the Presbytery of Memphis. Oh, it's not on. Oh, there it is. Um, the Presbytery of Memphis. Now, I'm not a part of that presbytery. I'm in the PCA, and that's a presbytery which is the United Presbyterian Church of, of America, whatever it is. Like, um, Germantown Presbyterian, Kyerville Presbyterian, um, put on a retreat, and their speaker was a woman by the name of Phyllis Tickle. Now, that doesn't mean anything, but um, her name was Phyllis Tickle. Now, guys... Um, I'm saying a woman is asking me if our pulpit is goofy. Mrs. Tickle um, says that she represents emergence Christianity. And, and, And one of the characterized, no, emergence is characterized by, and she gives several things, but here's one of the things that characterized emergence Christianity. It's belief in narrative theology over propositional or doctrinal theology. Now, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, I would like for somebody to tell me what is narrative theology. But I can tell you what propositional theology is. You want some of it? Jesus is God. That's a proposition. Let me give you some definitional, or I mean some doctrinal theology. Justification by faith alone. But in this movement, it's, it, we, we've gotten rid of that. Uh, and in its place, we put narrative theology, whatever in the devil that is. She calls it the democratization of theology that includes everything from Jesus, from Jesus scholarship. Scholar, you know what Jesus scholarship is, don't you? The Jesus seminar. She calls it the democratization of theology that includes everything from Jesus' scholarship to Gnosticism and New Age thinking. I didn't make this up. Um, I mean, if you put it in the paper, I I can read it, can't I? In January, she'll be back on the road making her case that Christian authority will rest not only in Scripture, but listen to this. That authority rests not only in scripture, but also in the intention of the spirit, as no, but also in the intentions of the spirit, as they are revealed to and discerned by the devout in prayer and in congress with one another. Do you understand what that's saying? That truth is going to be found when a bunch of people get together for a prayer meeting and we talk about it. So, our source of authority is going to be a prayer meeting where you and I converse. But then, ladies and gentlemen, this should tell you more. Tickled's own theological journey has taken her from Appalachian Calvinism, she grew up in East Tennessee. To Delta Episcopalian, to emergence, and at this point, I want to write a word up here that I've never seen before. Her theological journey has taken her from Appalachian Calvinism, she grew up in East Tennessee, to Delta Episcopalian, to emergence, lesbian, gay, transsexual. I didn't make, I mean, I I couldn't make that word up. I, I mean, I don't even know where you got that. Well, I know you got the word, but I'd never seen it before. So this is a theological position. And one of the mainline denominations in this country had a retreat where this woman was allowed to spew this stuff. Sponsored by the Presbytery. Now, ladies and gentlemen, which pulpit is goofy? You better figure that out. Because this one might be. And that one in there might be. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, you need to run from people like me if I am not telling you the truth. Run. Run, ladies and gentlemen. Either run from me or run from her because this book says, that Jesus Christ said something this stupid. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Ladies and gentlemen, all I have to offer you is truth. And I want you to know that truth is not resident within me. I am trying my darndest to figure out what this book says. But if I am misrepresenting it, run. Run. Because where you might want to head is to emergence lesbian, gay, transsexualism, which is a theological position. And I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you say something like this, um, that Christian authority will rest not only in Scripture, but also in the intentions of the Spirit as they are revealed to and discerned by the devout in prayer and in congress with one another, if you say something like that, then by all means, you can end up right here. Because if I can just get a group of people to pray with me and we can talk about it, we can come up with this. I don't have anything to offer you, ladies and gentlemen, nothing. I have nothing to offer you. Except Christ and him crucified. The same one that Paul's trying to offer the Galatians. Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from that, ladies and gentlemen, there is no access to the Father. Apart from him, there is no grace and peace. But if I'm wrong, you need to run. You need to run from people like me. Because that's all I bring to the table, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, I don't bring anything. I bring a book to the table. And I say to you that the only authority that any of us have is derived authority. An authority that derives from properly representing the truths contained in this book. Beyond that, we're clanging symbols. You know, listen, gentlemen, you may not believe this and you may think, oh, he's just a. Well, I don't care. I mean, I don't know what you think. But um, um, last week, last Wednesday night, and I said this to you last Wednesday, Jimmy prayed something up there about being um, steadied by the truth. My friends, we live in a culture that doesn't any longer even believe in a category called truth. This is what they believe in. They believe that we can get together and we can hmm or something and we're going to get some kind of intentions from the Spirit um, by Congress with one another. Go for it. Go for it, ladies and gentlemen, and run from people like me. Run. Run. Because I don't offer you that. I don't offer you anything that even resembles it. The only thing I have to offer you is an effort in trying to tell you what Jesus Christ meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Everybody's got a Christ. And people don't care whether you believe in Jesus being a way. You want to hold on to that? They're not going to bother you a whit. But when you say that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth, a category they don't even believe exists, Oh, you'll be marginalized. And being marginalized is worse. (laughs) Like my friend said. Guys, what you find in these introductory verses, I mean, we haven't even gotten to content yet. That really kind of starts in verse 6. But what you get is a man writing with a pen in his hand that's been dipped in flames because the thing that he wants to promote to you is the beauty of the gospel that rests upon the finished work of Christ and that alone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I think steadies God's people. It's the truth that steadies them. In a world that thinks you're certifiably nuts, And and dangerous. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I'm dangerous. If I'm not telling you the truth. And anybody who isn't telling you the truth is dangerous. So, is this pulpit goofy? You'll have to figure it out. But this is the way you're going to need to figure it out. Not based on the prayer concerns and Congress of a group of people. Can I read that just one more time? I mean, it just, it just, it just amazes me. I mean, she, she's quite well spoken. That Christian authority will rest not only in Scripture, but also in the intentions of the Spirit as they are revealed to and discerned by the devout in prayer and in Congress with one another. Well, you're the devout. Just pull your chest up around that table and go figure out what the truth is. See if you can get it to fly into your little head. Or you can open this book and you can try to figure out what Jesus meant when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. But I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is drawing lines very narrowly. And it certainly limits your audience. Run. Run from any pulpit that's goofy. Our Father, I pray that you will um, remind us that the grand scheme of redemption, redemption is something that you authored, that you revealed, but you have put on display your great grace in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ and no place else. That grace that we so love is only found in and through Christ. Access to you is only found in and through Christ and Him crucified. So Lord, thank you for the book. And I pray that your people will use it with great diligence to discover who it is that's goofy. Where is the goofy? Because we all want to run from it. We, um, we commit ourselves to that, Father. Simply as students of your word, teach us, O Holy Ghost. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.